the only time I ever heard of anyone going through the gory details of a person's death is actually on a trial. It's the only time that you would ever expect to go through the details of what we get in Scripture. Think about it. When the last time you were at a funeral and they actually talked through the details of how the person died, as times where you'll sit and you'll even whisper back and forth sometimes because you're not even sure how the person passed away. Imagine you're the family member of someone who had been brutally killed or brutally murdered and the day of the trial had been set and you start looking at things and start counting the days and realize that that day is literally the day that your loved one passed away and that would be the day that the trial was set. Wouldn't their family ask for a postponement? Wouldn't it be too much to deal with that day? Maybe that gives a little bit of the weight of what we talk about and deal with on Good Friday. But really, at the end of the day, why should we dredge up the details here? Why would we talk about the details here? Why would we go through this each year on Good Friday? Why? Because bottom line is truth is on trial. Did Jesus really die on the cross or did he simply pass out and they didn't realize it and they buried him only to have him come out of the grave a few days later? This is one of the theories that was posted a few days after the resurrection and yet it is still one of the highest highest theories, the swoon theory if it was. Why was Jesus uh, arrested in the first place? He must have done something illegal. The authors of the Bible just write this stuff to make Jesus appear as a martyr so that they could get uh, rile up the crowds. Is the Bible a reliable source for historical documentation? This is truth on trial. Tonight we're going to talk about the biggest event in history. You've heard the acronym His Story. Yes, history. This is the biggest event. It splits time in two. Jesus going to the cross for you and for me. We've been in a sermon series now, 13 weeks, the journey to Jerusalem. Well, we have arrived in Jerusalem, just as uh, Brian talked about last week. As we have arrived, we've Palm Sunday, we are here. We have followed through Scripture. Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, and it was not for Palm Sunday. It was for what we are experiencing tonight, the cross. This was what Jesus was going to Jerusalem for. As I close this Journey to Jerusalem series, as we think through the pieces of this series, I'm thinking or I thought through a number of different ways that we see people journey on paths, on roads, on uh, causeways, on expressways, sidewalks. And you know, there are no towns or villages that I am aware of that have the name God or Jesus Christ or Holy Spirit. Every city seems like they have a Martin Luther King Boulevard or a Lincoln Parkway, but we don't have any roads named God or Jesus. The reality is, is this journey that we see, that we experience as we close this series, the, the, these paths that are all through our lives that we see crisscrossing in all directions, yes, even animal paths. I was talking with Brian recently about how the city of Boston that he lived in, literally the streets formed around some of the animal paths through the city, and that's why the streets are so conjured up in such a crazy manner on top of each other. The reason why we need to talk about Jesus and the path that he took was because Jesus says, and he told his disciples, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is only one path, and that is through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Many people enjoy traveling, and this time of year is perfect for it. We'll have a number of people that will be out of town this weekend. My family and I, we will be traveling after the services on Sunday morning. We'll spend some time with our extended family uh, in the Carolinas. We'll be heading out. And I've shared this illustration here before, but maybe you haven't heard it. As we go through the West Virginia mountains, as you look around the West Virginia mountains, on the hillsides, in all directions, it seems like there are what? There are these three crosses demonstrated on the path. West Virginia, the man's name is Mr. Koffendoffer. He was a Marine Corps veteran who had served in the Battle of Iwo Jima, the one that the, the monument that's in Washington, D.C., with the men raising the flag. That's where he had served in the Pacific. And he came back, and at 42 years of age, sitting through once again, hearing the gospel presented once again, suddenly he came to the realization that he was a sinner before the Lord. And so in that, he changed his life, and he raised some $3 million to be able to put these crosses all over the place. There's over 1,800 of these trio of crosses in 29 states, Zambia and the Philippines. Why? Because something happened to him at 42 years of age that he could have never thought was going to happen. He met Jesus. And that journey changed because now the path mattered, and Jesus was his one way, his truth, his life. Maybe that's your story tonight. Maybe this story is familiar. Maybe Good Friday is familiar to you. But maybe you'll come to grips with who Jesus is tonight here in this place. And it will change the trajectory of where you are headed. As we look at this scripture, there are three crosses there are three crosses. We'll ask you, as we have done so far tonight, as a measure of unity, to read this scripture together with us. This is from Luke chapter 23. It goes like this. Verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called... There are three crosses. Maybe you wonder how Jesus got in this predicament in the first place. You see, the religious leaders, as we have studied through this series, they were jealous of him. He threatened their authority. The secular leaders saw him as a nuisance because he would not bow his knee to the Roman government. And he said that he had his father was a higher power. The Jewish people became disappointed in him. Why? Because he was not the Messiah they thought he would be. He was not coming forward to rule and, and reign with an iron fist. From the beginning, though, God had told his people that he had, was going to send a Savior to take their place. He told Adam and Eve that he would send a deliverer who would crush the serpent of death. And that serpent, he would bite the heel of the deliverer, but in the poison of death into him. But on that point in the Bible, he points to this picture of the Savior who would come. 
In Noah's day, for example, he put that giant rainbow, the bow in the sky, a symbol that he would never flood the world again, that there would be a Savior. When Abraham was about to sacrifice his son Isaac, God led him to see what? That there was, a, there was something in the thicket. There was this animal, this lamb that would be there instead of Isaac. Isaac would go free, foreshadowing that one day there would be a lamb again. The soldiers, it says, they also mocked him. They came up to him. They offered him wine and vinegar. They said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And they wrote this notice. Pilate wrote this notice that said, king of the Jews on the cross. There was once a pioneering family out in the plains. And when they realized there's an enormous brush fire headed their way, the father gathered the family. He gathered them together and they, they burnt a little circle there in the plains gathered the family together and sets this little fire so the grass around them would be burned to the ground. And as the family huddled in that small little circle, as they huddled there, the fire that had already come through stopped and went around them. Why? Because that fire had been consumed already. You see, Jesus took the fire onto himself. It consumed him. Why? So that we can stand on that scorched fire ground and live in safety. So there are three crosses, first of all. Second of all, there are two criminals. There are two criminals. Read this with me. If you ever drive through Highway 64, that's where I will be headed next week. I'll see those three crosses on the hill, all 200, 300, two or 300 of them, I suppose. But if you go through there, you will cross this little spot called the Eastern Continental Divide. That's where if two raindrops are falling from the sky and one of them falls on one side of the continent divide and the other one on the other side of the continent divide, when they reach that dividing line, they go in entirely different directions. Literally, a centimeter will separate the two little rain buddies, and they'll go in opposite directions. When we see these criminals, we see the same way. This shows the dividing line for eternity. People are in very similar life situations, but they will find themselves in entirely different places. Why? Because of this great divide. This is the dividing line of history. When the President of the United States, when he stands and he speaks and he talks in front of people, there's, there's always selected people standing behind him. There's very important people that have to do with whatever he is pushing, whatever agenda he has, those people are important to that agenda. When Jesus has the biggest opportunity, the largest stage, where all of history is going to be defined on here, who is standing behind him but these two criminals? They're not random they're not a mistake. This is the way Jesus wanted it to be. So let's talk about these two criminals. What do these guys have in common? Both were equally bad. It doesn't say that one was worse than the other. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, you read that they both start out cursing Jesus. Both criminals would have been happy for Jesus to have saved them from death. 
In fact, the one of them who ultimately rejects Jesus, he says, if you really are the Messiah, save yourself and us. They're looking for the same thing. He would have loved Jesus to come down off the cross and show those Romans who's boss. But the other thief, the other criminal began to understand something. Jesus was actually who they said he was. The one that they mocked him to be. The one that they had put the banner on the cross above him that said this. The king of the Jews. There are three crosses. There are two criminals. But there is only one king. Read with me. Verse 43. Jesus answered him. Now listen to this story. There's a song that says, come close, listen to the story. The one of the Father in glory. The day that true love died. There's a lot here, but we can see that the land itself was literally dark. The earth shook. The earth physically felt what was going on here between God the Father and God the Son. When all the dirt and the filthiness and the, the rags of, of you and me and our sin, when they were all put on him, when it gripped his holy shoulders of Jesus, God made him to be sin for us. And now Jesus was repulsive to God the Father. And all of the earth shook. And there was a rip. There was a tear in heaven. And it demonstrated itself in the temple. A divide torn between the love of God the Father and his Son. <coughs> God the Father brought a curtain of darkness over the earth. Suddenly it was midnight right in the middle of the day. Then the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. And we can infer that he says, And we killed him. And now there is no hope. But just like that lead-in video said, Jesus spoke those words, It is finished. It is finished. And he bowed his head. It's finished. Did you know that? Did you realize that? You don't have to do it. It is finished. You don't have to do anything. Jesus never does anything halfway. Jesus didn't heal halfway. There was no leper that ever came up to him and said, Jesus, you didn't quite get all of this. I still have a spot. He didn't take the blind man and heal him halfway. And the blind man said, thank you for letting me see, but I still have this blind spot out of the corner of my eye. No, Jesus didn't do those things halfway. Jesus didn't teach halfway. There are still seminaries and degrees and programs where people are digging into the depth of the teaching, even in the simplest of parables that Jesus spoke. He didn't do any of that halfway. He did not heal halfway. He did not teach halfway, and he did not redeem halfway. It is finished. 
And Jesus breathes his last breath. In the Old Testament, there's a word frequently found in the book of Psalms. It shows up a few other times in Habakkuk. But there's 74 times in all of Scripture, 71 times it is in the book of Psalms. And it is the word Selah. This word Selah, many people believe that as as they look at the, the book of Psalms, that so many Psalms are written to be poetry or to be music, that, that Selah was actually written off to the side, designed for the musician who is playing the piece. It was this Selah, just pause for a moment. And if you're a musician, the, a fermata has the same type of approach. Just pause for just a moment. Pause and think about this. Selah. So just before the climax, just before the music begins to swell, there's this moment, the exhale, just before the inhale. And here in Scripture we see that, the Selah. Look how this lies out with the author Luke. Read with me if you will. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man when all the people who had gathered to witness this saw it. They beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Selah, pause and think about that. It is finished. The centurion looks, and the way that Luke writes his gospel is that he looks and he says, well, surely this was a righteous man. And we pause and we think about what him being a righteous man, what him being the Son of God, just crucified on the cross, what that means. And we will return on Sunday and we will celebrate and there will be a climax and there will be a lot and 2,000 years later we know how the story ends but tonight Good Friday we have that moment to do what? To pause. To think. As the guys come up we're going to play one more song and we'll sing we'll ask you to sing along as well. The ushers, if you'll come up this evening as well, give you an opportunity. If, if there is something that is prompting in your heart tonight, we want to give you that opportunity to use a connection card to respond in that way. It's funny how finances have a way of being the gut-wrenching heart spot for many people as well. And some of you have been squirming in your seat for a very long time and God's been telling you to give and you just keep saying no. Just pause and think about that. Why is it that the God of the universe, you're willing to say, no, I'm okay, to again and again and again. There are three crosses. There were two criminals there's a great divide between those two criminals. They are going in two opposite directions, even though they are so very close. But do not forget, there is one king, and that's who we worship tonight. And that one king gave his life for you and for me. Selah.
pause. Think about that. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for your scripture. We thank you for the way that you gave of yourself totally and completely, dying on the cross in my place. Lord, you've made it clear in your scripture as you said to your disciples, on this journey there is only one way, there is only one path to the Father and that is through you. So Lord, you made it clear on the cross. Lord, you made it clear in our lives. Tonight we pause, Lord, we think about that. We thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray.